Thanks for joining us today on RV Tech Talk, a podcast produced by the National RV Training Academy that is devoted to discussing ways to keep RVs in tip-top shape and ways to make money fixing or inspecting recreation vehicles. My name is Greg Gerber, your host for today's show. Scott Wade is a mobile RV technician and inspector based in the Lakes region of New Hampshire. His business, Dog Crate RV, has been in operation for about 18 months. The unique company name is based on a nickname he gave his own RV, which he described as just a 45-foot dog crate. As a child, Scott grew up in the service business because his father owned an Exxon service station for 19 years in Massachusetts. He didn't have any formal training, but he would often assist the mechanics and he would work on his own car as well. For a career, Scott worked for Enterprise Car Sales. When he decided he wanted to do something differently with his life, Scott began taking courses at the National RV Training Academy. He really enjoyed developing a network among the instructors and other students, and doing so reassured Scott that if he ever encountered a problem in the field, he was not alone. Finding his first client was relatively easy. In fact, he received a call from someone seeking an inspection while he was taking his final exam in Athens. Soon, Scott had a bunch of people calling him, despite the fact that he hadn't done any advertising. All his business came from the locator pins on the National RV Inspectors Association's website. In addition to inspecting RVs, Scott also felt obligated to educate new RV owners about how to operate the equipment they found in their RVs. Today, about 70% of his business comes from fixing RVs rather than inspecting them. However, by doing both, Scott is assured of having income year-round. To tell us more about how he started his business and what he does to keep it going, please welcome Certified RV Inspector and Technician, Scott Wade, the owner of Dog Crate RV, to the show. Thanks for joining me today, Scott. I really appreciate the time. So tell us a little bit about Dog Crate and how it got started and where you're located. Hey, Greg. Thank you for having me. Dog Crate RV is... About a year and a half into its existence, we're located up here in the Lakes region of New Hampshire, specifically Laconia, which is really close to Wears Beach. If anybody's been to Motorcycle Week in Sturgis or up here, this is where it all happens on this end. We've got the oldest rally. They've got the biggest one. But I'm originally from Massachusetts, and now I spend most of my year gratefully in my big old 45-foot dog crate. And the dog crate is an RV, I understand. Yeah, it was it, the evolution of the name of the company really came from my, my first fifth wheel that I bought a few years ago. I really, I had never been fifth wheeling and I wasn't even in the industry, but I was managing a property for a friend. It's actually how I started my company. And I had a 40, it was a 30 foot Keystone by Laredo, really lightly used my first introduction to it. And along with that, shortly afterwards, I was very blessed to have Zeus at the time, a 10 month old chocolate lab come into my life. And over the next four or five months, what I realized was that I needed to make some space for Zeus's cage, right? So we got to move the the dinette just last, right? It was a a smaller dinette. And then I said, oh, we'll we'll get up. We need a place for his bed and his toys. So then the sofa went. And then we took the tour of clients. When I say we, I mean me. He didn't have anything to do with it. And so I, it was just a joke one day. A good friend of mine who happened to live out in, uh, by the property I was managing, he comes over. He goes, hey, man, it's a cool looking RV. I go, you know what, man? Don't fool yourself. When you walk in there, you're going to see it's just a big dog crate. I like, I sleep on one end. I can cook on the other end. And in between are his toys, his actual dog crate, his bed, all of it. So 
it was just a joke. And man, it was funny. At one point I had an electrical issue on that thing and I called and I was trying to find some techs. After about a year of doing the property management, I, I went online and found the school down in Texas. And then so the rest is history. Here we are talking, but that's how I, I incorporated that name into the company. Just naturally, once I got into it, I thought most of my clients, in fact, I show up, they have dogs or cats or some animal. And, and they've certainly accommodated the inside to, to, to as such. It's been well-received. It's a fun name. So the name of your company is Dog Crate RV Services? Yes, sir. Dog Crate RV is, basically I go by Dog Crate RV. But yes, we do mobile services, educational stuff, inspections as like us. When did you get your training at NRBTA? Well, let's see. I keep trying to get the years. Last year was 22. Basically, I went down to Athens, December of 21. And I was there through March 9th of 22. And at the time, I took everything they had to offer. I make the joke, I, I got a sponsorship from Visa and MasterCard. <laughs> and some friends of mine go, how did you do that? And I said, it wasn't exactly voluntary on their behalf, but uh, it was the best decision I ever made. And, and I met some amazing people. I still keep in touch with so many of them. It's uh, really one of the best winners I've had. Loved the school, loved the people. I've got family down in Texas, so it was uh, it was a little cold down there that winter. So I was a little surprised to have to be shoveling some snow down in Athens, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. We got through it. I remember that the snow apocalypse. It was more ice. That would be yeah. I think I could have skated seven miles down the street to the Big Red School for about a week, mm-hmm. if I recall. Did you but, have uh, any experience as a technician before you started this business? My experience would actually go back to my youth as a, as a kid and a family. We had a service station, an Exxon station, actually in Reading, Massachusetts, that we owned and operated for 19 years. And I never went and got any mechanical training, but I got trained by the guys there. And I used to do a lot of work on cars and really enjoyed it. So that was like the introduction to say fixing things and, and all that stuff back at a younger age. Most of my career, I worked at Enterprise and more in a sales and management role and then overseeing some groups. So this is getting back full circle. It's fun that you grew up fixing cars. People don't do that anymore. The cars are just so complicated now that teenagers can't go in there and do their own repairs very easily anyway. Yep. No, it is. It's definitely a, if you have a, a skill set and you can fix automotive, especially diesel, you, you can basically set your schedule. I'm not that good at at fixing cars. I didn't go into any certifications for automotive or anything. I do my own oil changes still. But once these things really started getting into the emission side of stuff and electronic ignition and electronic fuel injection and stuff, the only thing I did is made sure that I got an extended warranty on every car I purchased because I knew (laughs) I wasn't going to be fixing that. And I would appreciate the opportunity to have someone else do that under a, a warranty. But yeah, no, it was fun. I enjoyed getting something that was broken and fixing it. And my clients and, and customers at the time feeling good about that, right? It's, I'm sure you probably have talked to a lot of techs out there who, because they answered their phone, they showed up on time and they did something that is very well, much needed in the industry. I didn't expect it at this level, but boy, you get some clients that are incredibly grateful and that's the compensation that you can't really write a check for, but it's really cool to get. What kinds of things really stood out in the training you received at NRVTA? One of the biggest values I would say that the NRVTA provides 
and that I get pretty vocal with during our advisory co- uh, calls is the connectivity to some people that really give you as an individual coming out of school the ability to go out on your first job and not feel like you're alone. I think it's incredibly powerful. For me, this was an all-in thing. Wasn't uh, didn't have a backup plan, didn't have retirement, don't have anything. And so I knew that when I left there, I had what I felt was, in terms of the industry standard, there was nobody out there that was doing it. And I believe this still to this day at the level they are, right? And there's so many things that you can cover in RV and they give you the fundamentals to go out there and really effectively be able to run your business right out of the gate. But you get to that first job, Greg, and you're like, all of a sudden, everything you thought you knew, you forget. And that you have been down to Texas and the value of the people you've met there, not only just the connectivity, and I'm not talking about calling instructors, I'm talking about calling classmates, people who you, there's this guy, Jim, out in in New York, who's incredibly good at electrical stuff. And I find myself, when I go on a job, if I think I'm going to get stuck on something and, and I might need some help, man, it's really cool to have sort of him standing over my shoulder, right? And, and different guys, Sean out in New Mexico has got 25 years experience and every once in a while I'll call him and it's, it's a tremendous value, I believe, that the NRVTA is, it's, it's almost like a byproduct of what I believe and I think the industry will prove is really the best curriculum out there. But that connectivity to me is the most valuable thing. So you're doing a lot of networking yet with the people that you met at NRVTA while undergoing training? I've maintained a lot of connectivity with the folks I went to class with and certainly with the opportunity now to work with both the advisory councils on the inspector and the tech side. It just gives you that connectivity that, like I say, can get you out of a pickle or if you need a resource. I think most of the folks are doing this as a sole proprietor or an individual LLC, but there's a tremendous value in the fact that they support their techs on the road, just the existence or the, of this, these advisory councils show that they're really trying to go above and beyond just being a school, right? They want to, want to tell you how to run your business or do things like that, but they want to support whatever business decisions you're making out there. And, and I found that just the being connected to that group of people and what they are trying to do for us techs, it, 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 to me, it's the industry standard. But like we talked a little bit about before on the call, Greg, and, I, and I'll wait for you to get into it. On the inspector side, it's definitely, there's, there's a lot of folks in the industry that are not familiar with that level of an inspection. And so it just involves some education, but. Sure. The Facebook group, a lot of people have been telling me is a real positive benefit of belonging to the associations because they can pose a question and then get answers relatively quickly. How long do you think it normally takes to get an answer if you've got a problem? If you, if uh, the truth of the matter is, and this is where I think this value speaks to it is I feel if I'm on the job, I can get that answer within minutes based on the people that I'm connected to. I'm more of a, I'm going to call those people and ask the question and maybe have a direct dialogue with somebody. I'm not as good at, and I don't, I read the Facebook pages all the time and I benefit from the commentary on there. And I'll, I'm always on both of those just to see. I don't personally use that as a way to go get my answers. I'm a little bit older, so social media is just more of a functional thing for me. I really enjoy that ability to reach out and talk to somebody. And and I think that's actually good for both sides of it, right? For people who are 
more comfortable using an internet-based platform versus, versus the phone. But uh, what I really do enjoy and appreciate is how quickly you see people respond. It's, this isn't like people having an opinion about whether or not they should know it or not. It's we're here to help very, what I find responsible answers and, and very helpful. So That's definitely wonderful. a huge ad. Absolutely. Yeah. What are some of the biggest surprises that you've seen? I'd say su surprises as a technician, I wouldn't necessarily, I've been surprised by too much other than I'm in a very seasonal area where I know a lot of guys aren't, there isn't people calling you year round. Okay. But I believe that there is year round business, right? And so with some of the dealerships up here that are seemingly open year round and even some of the smaller ones, I guess one of the things that I'm surprised is that nobody has really taken advantage of this market up here because there are winter campers. And so you just, you don't get the consistency of a year round inspector and a technician who's really out there trying to do it, a car dealership, right? Really provide both sides of it. So, um, I'm inspired by that in fact, but, um, I'm, I'm always just, you know, I guess that was the only thing I was surprised by. <laughs> the lack of us up here. I understand that you augment your income by doing inspections as well. And actually you started there. Has that been going well for you too? My decision to go through the inspector track was such a last minute decision, Greg. And I was so grateful I did it. True story. I was actually sitting there taking my final exam. I got a call. I looked at Howard and I said, Hey, Pam's pretty optimistic, huh? He goes, why is that? I said, we haven't quite taken the final exam and I just got a call. <laughs> and I was also incredibly grateful. And my timing to go there was right when they put those locator beacons live, Greg. And it was the inspector one that went live. I, I want to say it was like the week I was there for sure. It happened while I was at school. And, and so next thing you know, you had this whole audience of people that were finding me and I hadn't spent a dime on anything other than my schooling, right? What was really helpful for me on the inspector is it really helped me come up here, getting out of the gate. That's what I was getting calls for right out, right away. Uh, I didn't have a reputation as a technician yet, but I think people were starting to become aware that they might want to get their rig looked at before they spend a hundred or 10 grand, whatever on it. And, and so that, that was very helpful, but I don't doubt for a second that it helps me on the tech side. And as a side note, I actually do my inspections. I've evolved it into a, an orientation. I consider Dog Crate uh, RV the home of the inspectations. I'd say eight out of 10 of my clients are very new to this. So I let them come on out and I said, hey, let's learn about your coach together. Let's inspect it together. And let's talk about some of the things that you're going to want to make sure you do to show this coach you love it over the next year, two years or 10 years, you guys go make some memories. And that part of the evolution of helping make that connection between the client and the dealership, a little more symbiotic, but that's just a sidebar. I went into the inspection thing, kind of thinking, yeah, I'll be there for a couple more weeks. What the heck? And it was really, um, I mean, paid itself back in, in inside of two months. Are you working with RV dealers as well? When doing inspections? It wasn't like I walked in and said, Hey, I'm going to do your inspections. It was being called by some clients. And when they call and they need you to inspect a new rig at a dealership, 
I had gotten some feedback that some of their experience with the NRBIA inspectors and the amount of time it was taking, there seemed to be a bit of a disconnect there. From the get-go, I asked my clients, I said, listen, let me talk to the dealership. I'll let them know what I do and let me go in there. And I worked with dealerships through my career at Enterprise quite a bit. And I understand that they're a little bit reluctant to change, aren't we all? And really, it's just been an evolution of going in, showing what I do. Because really, at the end of the day, this is what I point out to the sales managers. I'm like, guys, look, I know you have a PDI and it's wonderful and I've seen it. What we do is a little different. And here's what's exciting. The client's paying me to be here. And I'm going to find some stuff. And guess what? You guys are going to fix it before they take delivery of it. And guess what? That's going to help your customer satisfaction rating. And I get the opportunity to help the client with some things that I don't tell them this part, but basically I get to do some educational stuff with the client that's really supplements their PDI is what they call it, or their orientation. Every dealership does it differently. And so it's been over the past year and a half, I have now three different dealerships. One campers in actually sends me out to do uh, all of their mobile tech work up here in the lakes region because they don't have any mobile techs. So I developed a relationship with that side of the house. And so now on the inspection side of it, because they understand what I'm doing, and now I've done a bunch of them with them, they do see the value in it. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm the third party. I didn't not put the sealant on or not make the AC work, right? But, but these are customers that are leaving a lot happier than if they got to the campground and this stuff was there. And they see that, right? So I just, and not to be too long-winded on this, Greg, but I... I believe that the NRVIA has a tremendous opportunity to bridge that gap with some of the dealerships who are just trying to understand this incredibly high-level detail reports that we can do that really is very new to the industry, right? And it's been exciting, but the dealerships up here have, some of them have come around. There are some that, you know, I don't do inspections at, and that's by my choice. But we're getting there. Okay. Have the most part, though, have the dealers been cooperative? I, absolutely. Yeah. From where I was a year and a half ago, most of the dealerships I walk into now are pretty receptive. They understand. But it's not until you do two or three there that they actually really do, truth be told. You can tell them anything to you blue in the face, but once you actually go in and they're supporting. One of the things that I find is really important is if I'm going to be there, whether or not anybody out there in the road is selling products or not, I always try to, if there's products that I recommend them get and the dealership has a setup where they are selling those products, try to support the dealership. That's what we're there for. That's what we're there to do. Customers going to buy it wherever they want anyway. Yeah. I, the ones that don't, it's it's really not, I don't believe on us to, to change their mind. It's ultimately the client that's going to hire us. And at some point, it's hard not to see the value in what we do in supporting them. So is most of your income coming from inspections or repairs? I'd go 70, 30, 70 on the tech side, 30 on the inspection. It's a, a significant amount of income coming from inspections, but most of your work is spent in the field fixing RVs. You finding, yes, sir. Are you finding that sometimes are more geared toward inspections than they are repairs? Yes. Basically up here in the, say, late winter, early spring, I do get a lot more calls for inspections around that time. And and then in the fall, into the winter time, people are 
seems like they're sitting at home <laughs> thinking about camping, but that, that's what it was last year. It was, and then in the, in the, in the um, heart of the summertime and during the season, it's, it's mostly tech work. So it sounds like it's a good idea for people to get their certification, both as a technician and as an inspector, just to have that year round kind of income, depending upon where they live. I, I've recommended for that point, Greg, which is a tremendously good one. I also think it really helps your skill set. I think being connected, as you pointed out earlier, that private Facebook page that you have access to. I can't tell you how many times I've, because I really, I do read all the posts where I've seen something on there that somebody pointed out and it helped me on the tech side. I think it's tremendous. I'll qualify that as also saying is where I am geographically, I think it works tremendously. And I've got some other guys up here through, through the school that I've met. I know in other parts of the country, it's tremendously competitive. And I don't know what individual markets might show, but if you push the, if you take the business element out of it, I believe it helps make you a better tech. What do you like most about being yeah. a technician? It's the thing that you don't get paid for. It's when you show up and you got a kid sitting in the driveway, packed up, ready to go. And it's your job to get that AC fixed so they can get on the road. It's very simply the check that can't be written. People's gratefulness for you're showing up. You answered your call. You showed up on time. They really appreciate the simplicity of what we do in terms of the 101 of business, right? And this is nothing better than it doesn't matter what that job paid when you know that you got them going and they're not going to miss any of those memories. That, that to me is really the, the best part of it. How did you get started in business? What, did, what kinds of things did it take to get you set up and going? New Hampshire has a relatively easy process to uh, get an LLC. I had developed, we started an LLC managing a property about a year and a half prior to doing so. So uh, the barriers to entry up here weren't tremendous. Once I had, since I had my LLC established, I got some business insurance and I shopped both the one through the school and then a, another provider and, and I know ordered some business cards and, uh, and then basically I was off and running and I got a, sorry, a tax ID number for the business. So. Really simple barriers to entry. And truth be told, Greg, I just got my Google profile done <laughs> about a month ago. I don't even have a website yet. If anybody, if there's one thing that I am just blown away by this whole thing, quick tangent on this, is my marketing expense has been business cards. That's literally the only thing until I put that Google deal together a month ago. That was it. So the barriers to entry up here in some of the markets where you are, where techs are needed, each state has its own LLC thing, but up here, it wasn't tremendously hard. And the locator beacons have really propelled me into some of those other situations where now I have, say, 90% of my business is word of mouth. By locator beacons, you mean the pins that are on the NRVIA and RVTAA websites? Yeah. So people can go find us. Without I find it, me spending a dollar, it's incredible. <laughs> I find it astonishing that you were in business for 18 months without doing any advertising and still were able to support yourself. Where Greg, you I put a tech to, I could put a tech to work in about three different areas in the Hampshire and two in Mass. <laughs> what are you doing next year, Greg? Let's go. <laughs> Where did you put your business cards to have the most effect? 
anytime I would get called out to a dealership or especially to a campground, I think it's mostly protocol, but I always went in and introduced myself up here. Now, I had some good timing, okay? We all know timing is good. The locator beacons had a couple of guys retired up here this way. I didn't know any of this, by the way. This wasn't like a business plan thing like this. Just happened to be as I evolved the business up to New Hampshire, I've spent many years up here with friends and family in several of these campgrounds, but I had no idea what the business was. I just, I think if you show up on time, if you answer your phone and you walk in, you present with a business card and you're professional up here because there's such a lack of that. My card was finding its way into Facebook pages. I would get calls from people. They'd say, you're on, your business card was put on our thing. And they said, you're great. Wow. I, that, that's, you think about like how powerful that is, right? They're literally, there's no better compliment as anybody who's trying to give me a tip. I said, the best gratuity I could ever get is a referral. But in this particular market, there really is such a need. And, and yeah, not to beat it to death, but really it's just been a incredibly grateful ride that now we've got to scale it properly. What did you do to gain your first clients and actually get the phone ringing? You, but did you do anything to keep that going? I just kept answering my phone because it kept ringing, Greg. And like, I, and I mean that literally now when I got up to the lakes region here, the only saying marketing I did was when I was already on a job, I would simply go in, introduce myself, let them know where I was, and I would hand them some cards. Now, i am been up in the Lacroix Le- uh, region here, and I'm actually uh, in a campground, and I'm a full-timer. I think when I talk to people, I'm technically not a full-timer because I have a stick and brick address. I am, most of the time I do live in my RV, and part of that is I'd like to be around the people that I'm trying to repair. I think that resonated with a lot of the campgrounds that I would walk into. I just let them know, hey, I'm doing this year round mostly. I'm going to be right here. I'm only a few minutes down the road. And, and I think I also hit an area that really just needed that. Back to how they used to do it 100 years ago, Greg. Okay. That's easy enough. Have you encountered any challenges while you've been out in the field or with your business? I think that as anybody will probably tell you in your first year and a half of business, whether you're drinking from the fire hose or not, it's just trying to stay in the swim lane that, <laughs> that you're doing well at. I've, there's so many different ways and repairs that you can get involved in that can really, really tie you down. Some of the challenges is say no. It's, it's looking at a job and as somebody who wants to be able to fix everything, wants to help somebody out and has a credible amount of empathy, it's really hard sometimes when you get a call and you're like, you know what, that's outside of my bandwidth. With that, what I do try to do is I'll always try to resource my customer without just leaving them to go call somebody. I am definitely getting to know a network of guys who both you will and will not find online. And so when I do get those challenges where I don't want to necessarily just have to say, hey, I'm sorry, I can't do that. That's outside of our bandwidth. I do try to find them a solution best I can. That's helpful. Sometimes. Uh, do you have any advice for people who are considering becoming technicians or inspectors? The only advice I guess I would take is however you're going to do it. I know they offer the course in a multitude of different ways, but I can't emphasize enough the importance for me anyway, how important it was to be there in Athens around the people to have hands-on training. I just, I felt like that really prepared me to just take a job and then I got out of there. 
And then at the very least, if I encourage my, all of my clients who are about to go traveling for any reason, that if they can align their trip to get down to Athens for that one week, I think it adds a tremendous amount of value to not only what you do, but you just meet some amazing people. They'll become lifelong friends. You'll do business with some, you'll be friends with some, you'll meet up with others. And, and I think it's a, it's a really cool platform that they provide. So how can people connect with you if they need to, would like to hire you either as an inspector or as a technician or to network with you as business owner yourself? I don't have the website or anything that can be found on the TAA.org locator or the NRVIA locator, as you mentioned. I have a, an email address, which is dogcraterv at gmail.com or they're always welcome to call me. And I don't know if I'm able to put my phone number on here, but you can certainly share that or I can provide that information. Go ahead. It's 508-665-81. If Zeus answers the phone, you'll hear his big meaty paws and I'll call you back. But I look forward to, and you, I know you've got, had some great guests on here and some folks through the NRVTA who will eventually help me with some of that other technological stuff like websites and things where people will have a different way to contact me, but that we'll, we'll get to that down the road. That's great. I appreciate your time today, Scott. I really enjoyed talking with you. I'm still astonished that you have done no advertising and yet are busier than you know what to do with. That's a great encouragement, I think, for people who are interested in becoming technicians and, and inspectors. Thank you for sharing your story with us today, and I wish you the best of luck going forward. I appreciate what you do, Greg. Thank you for your time. I enjoyed speaking with Scott Wade, the owner of Dog Crate RV, about how he started his RV inspection and mobile repair business in New Hampshire. The thing about Scott's business which amazes me is that he's been able to make a full-time living as a technician and inspector for 18 months without even having a website. In fact, he just completed his Google profile a month ago. For Scott, turning on his locator pins on the association websites and passing out business cards then serving his customers so efficiently that they refer others to his company has brought in 100% of his business. In fact, Scott is so busy that he could put two more technicians to work right now if he could find them. It's important for technicians to identify areas they're good at and then focus on those rather than trying to be all things for all people. By staying in his lane, so to speak, and passing off other types of jobs to his personal network of technicians, Scott is able to get more done in less time. If you'd like to connect with Scott, then feel free to email him at dogcraterv at gmail.com. Today's episode is sponsored by the National RV Training Academy in Athens, Texas. The Academy's one-week live training or home study course will teach you everything you need to know to fix about 80% of the problems people experience with their RVs. You can also sign up for additional training to become an RV inspector, campground technician, or to provide mobile RV service. For more information, visit www.nrvta.com. That's all for this week's show. Next time, I'll be interviewing a mobile RV technician from California who started a business out of frustration over the inability to get his own RV fixed. I'll have that interview on the next episode of RV Tech Talk. Thank you for listening.